Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Always good to be with you. I appreciate that. Um, you're going to help me, and I'm sure you'll do it with, uh, with um, enthusiasm, as you always do. Remind this audience, we are now days away from an event that not everybody feels is uh, so vital or important, but someone like yourself does understand how vital and important it is. I'm talking about the Celebrate Israel Parade a week from Sunday. You would encourage everyone, as would I, of course, to circle their calendar, spend a couple of hours in New York City, and demonstrate support and celebration for the State of Israel. Uh, join me in encouraging everybody to be there that day. Well, I certainly do, and I think people have to understand how important the message is in this year when we're confronting all over the country and around the world, but all over the United States, more and more concerted efforts against Israel, the BDS movement, and its ramifications, which is not just about Israel, but it is, at its core, anti-Semitism. And people will look to measure the attendance, because as you see, they measure everything in regard to the Democratic uh, National Convention, the controversy we had this week and will be ongoing. Everything is being measured. And if there isn't a big turnout, they will say this is a sign of disaffection, this is a sign of lack of support, this will be a victory for the BDS forces. So it's really imperative that people make an effort to come out. Uh, I can tell you I'm doing a broadcast to Jerusalem from the parade that uh, is going to be live uh, in uh, Merkaz Harav, and several other people are, I know are participating uh, in uh, a program which the Prime Minister and others will be, but it will be sending a message to them of our solidarity, of our unity, and it's so imperative. You know, Lagbomer's message is the price when Jews are not unified, and we know what can be accomplished, the miracles that are accomplished when we are. And so I hope everybody will make the effort and and come, and if you can't stay for the whole thing, at least stay for as much as you can, but that when political leaders and others march down the street, let alone when the kids march down, that they should see the support. Well, this gives me an opportunity to remind everybody that uh, with our presenting partners at the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, we're going to be on for five hours in the parade starting at 11 a.m. Eastern Time until 4 p.m., both audio and video broadcasting to the world. And, uh, uh, you know, Malcolm, uh, we may just have room for you for a few minutes if you're in the area. So uh, feel I'll f- check my calendar. <laughs> feel free to stop by. <laughs> after, all, as, after all, as you march in the parade, people are yelling and screaming at you about Friday morning's weekly update anyway. So. They yell 740. Exactly. So. Anyway, so uh, we're going to be there. And, again, a big thank you to the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, and uh, more and more exposure for events like the parade are welcome. So everybody hop aboard and let's spread the word, please. By the way, another thing in terms of celebration that I'm mentioning now, and I can guarantee you you're going to hear about it a few times in the next few months. Uh, For those who don't realize, Yom Yerushalayim is the day of the parade, June 5th this year. It means we are one year away from a date that I declared nine years ago we must all be in Jerusalem for. And that's, of course, the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. Malcolm, never too early for anybody to make plans to be there for that amazing occasion. Well, we are already working on it. We are preparing the National 50th Anniversary Celebration Committee, and we are 
uh, we have already alerted our organization. We've discussed it, uh, and I was privileged to be invited in September to be one of the speakers at the kickoff of the 50th anniversary uh, in Yerushalayim. And I'm sure we'll be there many times during this year for the appropriate uh, build-up and for the celebration, which will start uh, actually in, in the fall and run through a year and a half, I guess, a year and th- almost two years. Uh, it's really important. If people mean what they say about Yerushalayim, if they really care, this, is, this will be an opportunity. So every shul, every community, every organization, everybody ought to be planning now and saying, how do I live up to my responsibility to show that we are uh, right to have had the privilege of having Jerusalem in Jewish hands, Harabayas in Jewish hands. All the amazing wow. discoveries of our past that Akash Baruch Hu is sending us these signals every day almost, and this is a chance for us to show that we don't take it for granted. I'll let that comment pass about Harabayat in Jewish hands. We're not going to get into an argument right now, but <laughs> but but as I just said regarding the parade, um, it'll be it'll be amazing to welcome you in Israel, in Jerusalem at the 50th. On the long march, but we'll make it. Exactly. Could you? We may even have room for you there. What do you think of that? <laughs> this is unbelievable. I'm telling you, we can program the whole show during this segment. Just incredible. Are you? I think this is what you were alluding to earlier. It is a major issue, and I know that you've emphasized over the last few months that uh, your emphasis for the for for the um, a campaign season right now is on senatorial and uh, and house races, understandably, and uh, and to a degree. You're ignoring the presidential race for a while. I get all that, but we do read about you know who's being either asked or um, or suggested to be part of the committee for the Democratic Party platform and the influence they might have, especially vis-a-vis foreign policy. I mean, what what is your reaction when it comes to that? Well, I think everybody knows my reaction by now because I, I said it in the Times, uh, but it is very disturbing, and it's it the, the selection of you think more uh, people read the Times than listen to this show. No, but by now, those who have read the Times, now they'll get the full story. I gotcha. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, this is a very serious topic, seriously, that, that oh, yeah. people, uh, I think, really don't pay attention to the developments like this, you know, what happens at the convention. But, in fact, if you remember, at the last Democratic convention, they, they introduced, they had dropped Jerusalem, and it was reintroduced uh, into the platform, to the howls of many opposition, <coughs> and Mayor Velgosa uh, of uh, Los Angeles, who was the chairman of the convention, right. just declared it accepted, you know, the re- right. reinsertion of it. Now you have many delegates coming, as, as particularly as Bernie Sanders delegates, who may have other views and have expressed those views. And you remember what happened in Brooklyn when he talked about the disproportionality of Israel's response in, in Gaza, a, a ridiculous position uh, in light of the facts, but nonetheless drew a, a loud cheers and now pointed to the committee somebody who has been a pro-BDS uh, advocate in Cornell West and who has taken very radical positions against Israel, uh, uh, Jim Zogby, who certainly has been, and I think his, his sole agenda would be on this is, is to be pro-Palestinian and to, as, as they have declared, that they want to uh, weakened the, the the standard language that has governed uh, Democratic and Republican platforms for many years and un- underlies the U.S.-Israel relationship. And while it doesn't necessarily change the policy, and we know that uh, Hillary Clinton came out, uh, her, her, I guess, chief foreign policy advisor, Jake Sullivan, and 
said that they would not allow the change and that she will uh, make sure that the, the, the you know the strong U.S. Israel relationship will remain in the language, and I'm sure they will work hard to do that. But when you have, and you have uh, members of Congress who have not been very strong supporters on this committee, uh, amongst the 15 members who are appointed by um, uh, Mrs. Clinton, I think had seven or eight, and then Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, uh, I think five and seven went to Sanders. Right. And so while they don't have a majority, but they they can certainly uh, develop a minority report, which would then go to the floor. And if you open up this debate on the floor, it becomes raucous and riotous, and you've seen even at Sanders rallies and other uh, events and both parties. Yeah, they could decide uh, to include something just to calm the crowd. I mean, so, Or to, to eliminate it right. altogether and just say, well, we can't reach consensus, which would be, again, a message. Right. And we have to remember that the two broadest-based organizations in America are the Republican and the Democratic parties. Right. At least I think so. That's why I'm... So, <laughs> Yes. That's why I'm thinking that, uh, to take this audience, for instance, there are plenty of DNC contributors in this audience, and there are plenty of people who I'm sure have given to you know one of the two campaigns that remain active in the Democratic Party. You know, We talk about people having influence and people sometimes frustrated, what can I do? Here's really an opportunity. Anybody who's you know, from the smallest to the largest donor has a voice here. I mean, people who aren't donors also have a voice. But here, you have an opportunity if you're, you know, you're somebody who contributes to contact your Democratic leaders and to make your voice heard on this. Absolutely right. Make your voice heard to uh, those who are going as um, members of the uh, convention delegates, right? to the candidates, and to assure that you know the the we can get the strongest possible platform enhancing in fact past language to at this time is so critical i mean i can't say and we don't have time to go through what what happens every week but look what happened at the university of california at irvine where jewish students a small group and some non-jewish students were literally blockaded into a building where people were trying to uh, from the students for justice in palestine to break down the doors to get in police had a evacuate and they called for backup in order to evacuate Jewish students and they were all they were going to do was watch the film be beneath the helmet uh, and you don't see the response that we should see from the university etc and they do have a, a strong policy that they adopted uh, not long ago on this and about anti-semitism and about uh, you know anti-zionism being unacceptable too and this is really uh, uh, just a, a reminder to us of what is going on in many places and the need for us to be to speak out and to stand up now and make the case too many people are falling for the lies yeah no question about it and it's happening obviously everywhere around the world you know the and you and I have discussed the whole free speech issue and boycott issues and generally you know we agree in terms of um, I think generally uh, it's safe to say that both of us agree that calling for boycotts is usually not a good answer right I think we usually agree with that. To counter boycotts, yes. It's generally not a good answer, and if we're opposed to boycotts, then it's harder for us to use. It doesn't mean that there aren't times when it's appropriate to say if to that we will not uh, uh, do business with or ah, that we, so we have uh, problems with a particular com- company, but it's not because of their ethnicity, religion, nationality, whatever, but because they... Policy. they behave in a way that right. is unacceptable, and they, they engage in practices that are unacceptable. If they boycott Israel, and we have 
one company now, international company, under scrutiny because the state laws may well apply to them, the state anti-BDS laws that have been adopted in a dozen, 15 states already and more will. uh, There has to be one. And and if you remember, the Lawfare Project sued Kuwait Airlines because they wouldn't let anybody with an Israeli passport or Israeli or anybody onto the planes from New York, which is a violation of law, and the Port Authority came down on their side and Kuwait Airlines was not allowed to fly, and they and then they we took them on in Europe, and they were closed down in Europe. They right. closed all their intra-European flights. So I mean, that's a message, right? And Un- that's not boycotting them. It's nothing. It's saying you got to adhere to the law. Understood. Holding their feet to the fire. I got right. that. But on the on the uh, free speech issue of this uh, in the Netherlands, right? The decision about BDS now equaling free speech, right? Right. Israel expressed, Israel was trying to convince, or representatives of Israel obviously were trying to convince the Netherlands to take this off the table and to, in fact, enforce that BDS would not be allowed as free speech and would have to be, uh, you know, discouraged in whatever way, you know, they would legislate that. And I just wonder if it, if it is better for Israel and the Jewish people to not fight the battle, you know, officially in terms of declaration whether it should be free speech or not, but fight the battle like you just described when it comes to boycotts in terms of, you know, individually, case by case, one by one, you know, taking on who has to be taken on. But once we try to quell someone's freedom of speech, I am uncomfortable with that. Do you get that? Yes, and we're not quelling people's freedom of speech. We're not saying you cannot criticize Israel. This is not about a criticism of a policy. This is about Israel's right to exist. And when they call for Israel's destruction when it... Uh, 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 leaks into anti-Semitism, which we believe is at the core, because they don't hold any other country to this standard. They don't uh, demand, make the demands of any other place, and certainly the violations elsewhere are great. We saw yesterday the World Health Organization criticized one country, one country with the slaughter in Syria, the failure to treat people, the beheadings, the, the terrible things being done by governments, to their people, the failure to provide services, a country that sends its soldiers at great risk to, to save the lives of, of enemy forces even in Syria and allows them to come in, that the, the family of, of their arch enemy, Hamas, comes in along with thousands of people from Gaza. The family of Abbas, his brother came from Qatar, so must be terrible treatment that the <laughs> Palestinians get in Israel if all of them, their leaders, are coming to Israel for treatment, as are thousands from the West Bank and from, and from Gaza. In addition to all that Israel does, whether from Haiti to, to Nepal, where they set up field hospitals, etc., that's the difference. This is not a legitimate criticism. This is not a legitimate difference over a policy. This is singling, singling out Israel, and, and you see the pattern, that they're doing it in every agency, and the whole EU voted as a block for it. France, Britain, everybody, Germany, voted for it. And only about eight countries uh, didn't, and 58 uh, abstained or, or didn't show up, and uh, half a dozen or so abstained. So they hide behind the freedom of speech. Uh... And they hide behind some, some fictitious charge, though, that right. the, that the, the, about what, what the situation is. I mean, if you would have to chart Israel on this graph of, of providing medical care to, to everybody, by the way, it would certainly be in the top ten, not not the singling out for the most negative report. You could add to that list, by the way, the executions in Gaza that I was unaware of. 
Okay. They're, they're coming. First of all, they have been executing people, and all along, and you remember after the war, in the, the, the uh, summer war, they executed people publicly, and they accuse of being collaborators. But most cases, it's just yeah. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on today, though. And now they have uh, twelve or thirteen people lined up for public execution, and uh, some for for they said murders in the course of robberies, and some for political reasons. But it's, it's barbaric what they're doing, and, and yet the world doesn't have anything to say. By the way, I just want to say one thing else about whether challenging it. You know that in Spain, which has not been very pro-Israel of late, um, the Spanish tribunal there said BDS is anti-constitutional, and it is discrimination, and it, it jeopardizes the fundamental right to equality without discrimination. Uh, and we've had similar rulings elsewhere. So fighting it it's sometimes very important that you you uh, declare for work sh- to clearly to people and and many innocents you know who get caught up and because of sectionality which is more here than in Europe but where they identify with other causes like black lives matter right. and things like that and they try to usurp them uh, and then people fall into it so when the you remember during Ferguson mm-hmm. when the televised broadcast of the protest yeah, there you mentioned the free uh, Palestine free Palestine sign. Sign. Mean, what, that what does that have to do is there Crazy. Palestine near Ferguson <laughs> uh, so it's it's so sad you have to laugh it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange WMFU Mount Hope <clears throat> Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. And a reminder, we uh, broadcast in the Celebrate Israel Parade, 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. on Sunday, June the 5th. It's a week from Sunday with our friends from the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem as our presenting partners. And um, as Malcolm mentioned earlier, it is such an important time even more important than other years when we've been trying to encourage everybody to be there, to be there on Fifth Avenue and celebrate Israel. We will be reminding you until the parade begins. Um, so now we read that in addition to the excuse me, in addition to the tunnels that are being dealt with on the Gaza border, Hezbollah has announced that there are tunnels that they have prepared um, into Israel from Lebanon, and. I don't know what Israel's reaction is to this because we know that, uh, you know, it, it seems to be, at least the way the New York Times reports it, that once there's a buildup uh, or a, you know, strong presence of tunnels in the Gaza area, Israel has no choice but to go in and start destroying them. We know, you know, we've seen uh, firsthand what goes on there. Uh, does Israel now have to go up north and start considering destroying the tunnels that have been laid down by, that have been dug by the uh, Hezbollah along the Lebanese border? So let's first take on the Hamas side, on the, on the southern side. Israel has deployed a new technology, which is also being tested by the United States on the Mexican border. They did uh, detect two tunnels in recent months that were um, cleared and destroyed. Uh, they, the Hamas, they build the tunnels up to the border or just under the border before they can be detected so that they could then move. But we know that they are building in numerous locations, and people in Gaza have publicly protested this, not using their names, but giving interviews, telling how they hear the trucks go all night. We know that 95% of the cement that the world is demanding Israel allow in, and which it has allowed in uh, regularly, and then 
stop because 95% is being taken by Hamas for, you know, the, the building the tunnels and, uh, uh, and uh, rocket uh, launching sites, etc. And th- there's much more. If you see the, the level of, um, uh, of building materials, I think there was uh, 4.8 million tons that was uh, sent in, and, and much of it is seized then by the Hamas for their purposes, and they sell some of the others. But only a fraction of the houses have been built for which the material was, uh, was sent in. And so Hamas is still getting assistance, and we know that technology and other things coming to them, so they improve their, their rockets, but also the uh, technology, the, the sophistication of the tunnels. Right. Hezbollah... Was no, a, but, but before you get, but before you get to Hezbollah for a second, uh, will Israel in fact have no choice but to, you know, even with the new technology, uh, go in and, and destroy those tunnels? Will there have to be a repeat of what happened in 2014? I mean, if you read the New York Times, every every PA resident in the area is fearful that Israel's not going to have a choice but to come back. Right, and that's maybe the hope is that they will protest against uh, against it, but not likely to have that much of an impact but will on the, the advanced Hamas te- regime. No, that I'm sure. But will the advanced technology be enough for Israel to rid themselves of this tunnel problem down south? It's a very good question, and uh, I guess time will, will tell how, how much it is able to detect and how effective it is. But you, you cannot uh, really root out um, the... Hamas infrastructure if you don't go in right. and deal with it. And we know that they built a city under a city, and the, the protests are that the Hamas guys will be safe because they're underground, and they leave their people then to be uh, open and vulnerable. All right, got it. Okay, up north, Hezbollah. Uh, so up north in Hezbollah, and, and it's a much more complicated situation because we know now that, for instance, you know, al-Nusra, which is an al-Qaeda offshoot, and ISIS is offshoot, the... Um, the brigades that are the Yarmouk brigades, which are up there, uh, are fighting with each other over near the border and not paying much attention to Israel. But they're they're trying to uh, fight over control. And we know that new towers have gone up on the border that overlook into Israel. And it turns out that those are, in fact, the Lebanese army watchtowers that are keeping track of what's going on. Uh, uh, the Syrian army has essentially withdrawn from the Golan side, and Hezbollah has backed off because they're they're fighting. You know, so they have so much of their resources um, tied up in in Syria right now. But we know that, and and people have said that they could hear the digging, they could hear the noise. We we know that uh, they have uh, alleged that they are building uh, along the border. Israel's army has has consistently monitored this, and they say they have not found any uh, traces yet of, of tunnels that have crossed the border. The topography there is very different. It's it's much harder to, to do it, and Israel, being on the higher ground in many of the places, uh, has a better view, but they, they often can't see what's going on right beneath the border. And so they're claiming that, that they're doing some construction there. Uh, we have no evidence that, that's the, that, that there is actually... Uh, tunnels, at least n- not admitted, but certainly potential. And we know that Hezbollah has the technology, and we believe even on the Mexican border, those tunnels right. where Hezbollah inspired or aided or um, their advisors w- were involved. You know, you're you're always briefed in the military situation in Israel. Is, is the presence in the south much different than the presence in the north in terms of size or in terms of, I don't know, the, the type of intelligence that's used or the type of technology that's used? Is it, is it essentially a duplicate type of, 
of um, presence that the Israeli army has on both borders? Well, they're very intense, but uh, from um, it, it's not exactly the same. Also, with Gaza, you have um, uh, first of all, with, with, in the north, it's been quiet. They haven't had the incidents except for you know attempted raids here and there. But with Gaza, you have uh, them willing to use the rockets. Hezbollah, we believe right now, they used it would this not week. be willing to do it because they don't want to have the rain of destruction that will come down on them. This week, they is, have yeah. one hundred and fifty thousand missiles. The Hamas has tens of thousands. This week, Israel had to respond to rocket fire from Gaza. They respond almost on a weekly yeah. basis. It, it doesn't even make the news anymore. Well, that's what I mean. Is it, is it so? It's more comprehensive, you'd say, in the south than in the north. Would that be an accurate way of putting it? Well, first of all, there's a long border that Israel has to protect. Right. It's also coordinated with Egypt. Israel has nobody to coordinate with except Jordan in terms of the northern border uh, and, of course, the forces on the other side, which is why it's so funny when people talk now about giving up the Golan or yeah. saying that they should have given up the Golan. Can anybody imagine if they hadn't even some European leaders acknowledged uh, recently that... Yeah, you know, thank they, God for the grassroots national effort that kept the Golan. And, and, the, and, and the continued pressure uh, that is applied, you know, it's it just so far beyond anybody's imagination that somebody today could even say oh, or hint at the idea that um, they could. And by the way, you know, we shouldn't forget that behind both sides is one common thing, and that's Iran's involvement. Iran just announced this week $70 million. Well, much more up north. Palestinian right? Islamic Jihad and um providing technology to both sides. They still have some alienation from Iran, but we believe they are providing some uh, weapons uh, to them as they are to the Sinai, in, in which you have a, a deteriorating situation. The Peace Force, you remember, that was established there, the MFO in the Sinai. The Canadians announced this week that, that the situation is becoming intolerable. They have 700 uh, soldiers. The Americans have said in the past about withdrawing because the situation in the Sinai is so unstable and, and threatening. So when you said both sides, you meant north and south, or you meant yes. oh, okay. As I wasn't sure if it was that, or it was both sides of what's happening in Syria. Uh, the policy of returning or not returning bodies of those who uh, have attempted or have been successful at terror attacks in Israel, who then have been uh, killed by Israeli forces or whatever you know, whatever has happened. Uh, what what is the right thing to do? Look, Israel has always demonstrated covenant mess, respect for the dead, not use them as hostages, whereas. Hamas and Hezbollah and others have, uh, have done the exact opposite. They're holding, Hamas is holding two dead Israeli, uh, the corpses of two Israeli soldiers. We have tried in many ways to, to do it. The Israeli government works on it all the time. And, and they just use it as, uh, as bargaining chips and, uh, for trade later on. And they know that Israel will go to great lengths and pay a heavy price to get soldiers back alive or, God forbid, uh, dead. And um, and I think that the the uh, returning the bodies they they returned one uh, this past week and immediately became and the guy who killed Tyler Force the American um, it was visiting in Israel who right. was a former soldier uh, they, they made immediately uh, big celebrations and eleven times Palestinian TV in recording the the funeral etc which was presented on television, and he was 11 times called a martyr, and they extol him. And all of the talk, you know, that the moderation, and we're going to, not going to do that, they continued to incite, to, to, to poison the minds of the kids and the adults that 
the hatred. And if that occasions that kind of celebration, then maybe Israel has to think about what it does. Yeah, understood. Um, uh, finally, the response in Israel and in the United States now to the official appointment of uh, uh, Victor Lieberman as a defense minister. First of all, the response in Israel, do you hear some of the media sources, the way they're painting him? Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't like him. And yeah, they, they really they don't never like did, him. But, uh, I mean, but it's... it's you know, I, I don't think he's, the, he's uh, the ogre that some are, are portraying him to be. But the, the United States government's uh, reaction initially was, well, you appoint whoever you want to appoint. And right. The fact is that in defense areas, the cooperation has been great. And Boogie Alom, the outgoing defense minister, had established really close working relationships and personal relationships with many of these people. So I think some of, of the people, their interlocutors, are befuddled by it, you know, the move and what it means. Cause, but, but remember, we had four or five, uh, four at least, uh, defense secretaries here in the United States, I think in the eight years of, the, uh, of uh, President Obama, and traditionally there, are, there have been changeovers. Right. Uh, and the relationship has remained consistent because in the security and defense areas, the common interests are, are so great. But I think people generally, not just the security areas, are, are somewhat confused by the move and not understanding the dynamic of Israeli politics. And because of the system, which I hope will one day be changed, um, the, that the, he, you know, he has to protect himself against the leverage of single members or parties that can threaten to withdraw. He wants to have the majority to get the budget through, and it's going to be a two-year budget. Without a budget, by the way, the government falls. Right. Um, by the by, the fall, I think they would they would have to they, they resign if they don't get the, the budget through in time. And there are other issues that that he wants to to pass now. And once the budget is over, that gives him uh, a, a hiatus, let's say, for for at least a year and a half till the next budget is um, is being prepared. Yep. Right. Now, I brought up this whole topic because of this, because the State Department spokesman moved away from what was originally suggested that Israel has a right to appoint whoever they want to right. you know to expressing how you know challenging the you know going forward will be with somebody like this in that position. And I well, know I'm, I know they, I'm, they did they did and I was going to say that they they qualified what their earlier neutrality statement right <laughs> and, and started to raise uh, uh, questions. Um, I think that, that that it is the prime minister who sets the policy. Ministers can say things, ministers can do things, but in the, in the government, especially now, the, it is the prime minister who sets the priorities and the direction for things. Uh, you know, that Lieberman has a close relationship with Putin, so maybe that will strengthen that, that communication. And on the other hand, it, should, it will never be at the expense of the United States, which the prime minister reiterated is the priority relationship for the state of Israel, and clearly it is. And there's the discussions on the memo of understanding on the next 10 years of military aid are ongoing. Uh, I don't think that this should necessarily uh, affect it, uh, even though Yalom's personal relationships played into it. Um, I think that the discussions will, will be ongoing. Um, you know, I didn't see the reaction to the appointment of Ayatollah Janati, <laughs> this 89-year-old super... Uh, extremist as the head of the Council of Experts in Iran, 
by uh, obviously at, at Ayatollah Khamenei's direction because that he heads the body that will pick the next supreme leader. Yeah. And for all the talk of quote moderate regime and how the the deal would help bring moderates to the fore, here you have this long-term extremist who, who remember called for a killing of Livni and has uh, taken uh, many many positions over the years. Um, uh, calling for suicide bombers in Iraq against U.S. forces, etc. And I've not heard the outrage about that, which could have real practical implications. Um, and and see it for what it is. Uh, and Lieberman is, is still a, a member of a democratic government. Yep. and will be subject to the restrictions that any democracy places mm. on an individual it's, leader. It's a backwards world. All right, Malcolm, got to run. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak to Israel Hashem next week. Thank you. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM&A.